0: Welcome back to the Creatives Podcast. I'm your host, Ilya Lipsman. Our guest today is the Manager of Creative Services for Destination Canada, a crown corporation that promotes tourism in Canada through research, alignment with uh, public and private sectors, and marketing uh, marketing Canada nationally and abroad. Welcome to the show, Adam Brownfield.
1: Hey, Ilya. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Uh, so I guess we'll jump in uh, to our first question right away. Um, how did you first get involved working in the marketing sector uh, for Destination Canada?
1: Sure. Yeah. And before I jump in, I just want to acknowledge that I'm joining you from the traditional ancestral and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, the Squamish, tsleil and Musqueam Nations, otherwise known as uh, Vancouver. So, yeah. How did I get my start? I started... Working for Tourism British Columbia several years ago, uh, over a decade ago now, and actually I did my undergrad in art history and had been working at like a slide library, and old enough that it was little old carousels. And from there, transitioned to a job to Tourism BC, which is now Destination British Columbia, kind of cataloging all their photos. They'd done a huge, massive photo shoot and they wanted to put them into an archive and put them online, which is one thread that still exists within my job portfolio today. I manage our assets, so any um, photo shoots we do or video shoots, we'll catalog those all and make them them available. More coherent thread of sort of my job, I, I like to tie it back to art history, and it's that balance between why something was made and how it was made and then what its sort of visual outlook is. And I think that's something that actually has more purpose in marketing than maybe is is given credit for, especially when it comes to the translation between a business need and then how do you creatively make that happen? And that's where I really like to sit in my work. And I've been lucky to find a home at Destination Canada where I can really be the, um, or one of many interfaces between, you know, our marketing team and our uh, results and our planning and all that kind of work. And then trying to translate that to having conversations with creatives and figuring out like, okay, like, how are we going to tackle this problem? What's the best way to go about that? And what are we going to make that loops us back to that? So that's the sort of thread that I've randomly followed throughout my
0: career. I mean, yeah, that's very interesting, especially with the fact that, uh, as you mentioned, your background isn't in marketing to start with, right? Uh, So what type of a history did you take in school?
1: Yeah. So I did art history. Um, I started in fine arts, uh, that didn't really pan out for me. I still definitely consider myself a creative person and I try and always have something on the go that is challenging that side of my brain. But when I was, uh, working through and figure out why, why did I drop out of school? Um, I did it partly to go snowboarding for a year, but more so to, um, dive more into art history and to try and think about like, why do visual representations come out and do stuff and then you know I did it at the University of Victoria and it was a very sort of generalist program but wherever I could I did try and focus on Canadian art and I think that's has another nice tie to sort of where I've ended up now but whenever I can I think you know looking at Canadian art is is, was my um, focus but it's quite broad
0: yeah i mean yeah that's really really cool and uh i know before we started the podcast today we did uh, talk a little bit and you did mention that you do uh get to travel quite a bit around canada uh do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh kind of uh what you do when you do travel and uh, just in general any favorite spots you have around canada
1: yeah for sure i i'd love to answer this question so just to be clear last year i didn't travel at all for work I'll I assume, uh, <laughs> and no plans for traveling uh in the in the short term future yeah, before that, I would go out on on a, on a variety of shoots, often as the client, which is sort of a weird hat to to wear on on a shoot. Partly, um, you know, my role is just making sure that everything we set up and intended to do at the outset is is happening, um, and to sort of be the eyes on the ground to ensure that it's all kind of going. And often, I, I'll join a project at the start, especially larger ones, if we're going to do, say, a video shoot that's going to last like three weeks or something like that. So it means we're bringing a fairly large investment to the table. I'll be there for the first few days or the first week just to sort of get things going along. And also, you know, beyond just being kind of a client and keeping an eye on everything, I, I find it's really helpful to continue that thread of conversation of all the pre-planning that we've set up and, and got rolling out and you know answer those questions that come up when you're out there on, on the ground trying to work through the creative process and find a way to, you know, be a, a support and a kind of host and a and the fount of knowledge. So, yeah, I, um, I've i traveled to all Canadian provinces. I haven't gone to any of the territories yet, so we'll f- my answer may change in a, in a little while, but I am deeply enamored with Newfoundland and Labrador. It is a beautiful and stunning place with some of the nicest people in Canada. So that's on my list to go back uh, for a personal trip when I can.
0: Of course, of course. And uh, I I do find it very interesting as well uh, for anyone listening. Um, Adam is from uh, from um, B.C., uh, which is for most Canadians that is kind of the province you want to be in in terms of uh, the beauty of it. Uh, For some people that haven't visited, uh, it has beautiful mountains, beautiful rivers. It's just an absolutely amazing place to be in. Uh, and it's kind of funny to, th- to say that uh, you absolutely love Newfoundland and you didn't even mention BC
1: or Vancouver at all. I, one of the things I think is super interesting about Canada is how broad the geography is and how much it can change over, over time. Like, you know, thinking about Ontario and Algonquin parks and in their canoeing, it's one of the most beautiful spots I've ever been as well. I feel like I could spend a whole hour just talking about Canada and The different places you can go, the different landscapes, the different cultures, the different people. It's so amazing.
0: No. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Canada, pretty much you can go 15, 20 minutes away from where you are now and I'm sure it's going to be completely different setting. So uh, it's a very, very interesting place to travel, especially if uh, that's kind of what you're into. And I'm sure a lot of people in the travel industry or in the creative industry usually love traveling, especially nowadays. Uh, Maybe not during COVID, but previously, but uh, it is a great perk to have. Uh, So, next question there for you. Um, How was your experience uh, with Destination Oh, sorry. How did your experience with Destination Canada shape the way you work with uh, people in the creative industry?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think something about my experience with Destination Canada, I would use to answer that question, is that I had an opportunity to sort of learn on the job and kind of come up through some ranks and, and, and find my, find my spot at Destination Canada. And I think through kind of having a bit of a, an evolving job title and an an evolving role, let me really kind of find different ways to work with people and have a lot of very kind of small projects to cut my teeth on and make connections, figure out how the best way to work together with, uh, with various people. And you know, I think one thing in a really strong kind of like client to production company or agency relationship is to have a, 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 a close working relationship with like a lot of trust behind it. But yeah, this idea of trust, and I, and I think that's a really important part of, of working together. And I think I've had the opportunity to, to find ways to build trust and to then take that and, and leverage that and, and take those creative conversations and those relationships further. And and create stuff that has, I think, more meaning and and more value behind it.
0: No, no, I, I very much agree, especially when it comes to trust. I feel like it both it doesn't matter if you're the client or if you're the creator. Like without trust, you don't have anything. And in most cases, as well, I know a lot of uh, creatives who are starting out. They've worry very much about the cost of the project or how much to charge the client. And something honestly that I feel like the more time you spend in the creative industry the more you realize that a lot of the time it's more about the trust than it is about the money like if you for example had a choice between two clients and one was charging you a bit more and one was charging you a bit less but you had more trust with the client that was charging you more even though their work was the same of course if you didn't have a bu- if you didn't have a budget in mind you'd probably go with the one that you trust more because you know it's going to be much easier to work with and you're probably going to get a better better result that way as well
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, there's tons of factors that go into figuring out like who you're going to work with, when and where, and and why. But yeah, I definitely think trust is trust is a big part of it because I think you have, you know, when you're work when you're going from brief, however much sort of pre production documentation that you put together, once the camera starts rolling, there's always a little bit of um, uncertainty and some magic that comes out of that. And i I think when both a, a client and a, a production company or a creator have trust that, you know, that magic can happen and a little bit of spontaneity can find its home in there. And knowing kind of like another way off and kind of explain my job is building sandboxes for people to come and sort of work in. And if I can do a really good job and put tons of tools in a sandbox and put definition around the edges of that sandbox on where we want to be and why we want to be there, that's, I think, when the best projects come. Because everybody sort of knows why they're there. They know what they're armed with and what they're going to do. But there's enough space in there that the sand can take many, many forms. And that's also what I love about my job. You know, I produce tons and tons of uh, work from behind the scenes. I might make it sound like I get to travel across Canada all the time. But that's a very small part of my job. A lot of it is just sort of setting it up and cutting people loose and letting them <laughs> go and do their work and then being amazed by the results that I get back. And that's, A, a very rewarding part of my job. But I think it's also where, you know, having that that trust and that sandbox kind of comes out and then, you know, you get something in your inbox like a week later, you see that first cut and you're like, yes, yeah, we nailed it. And
0: No, exactly. And I know, uh, I mean, a really big thing for people in the industry that are starting out as well is a, a lot of the time you do start out with of course small projects and sometimes you do them for free and sometimes it's not work that you maybe specifically want to do uh, and a lot of creators of course start it because they want to do something creative and I, I like I like what you mentioned a lot that you that you said that you you still want to give them guidelines because at the end of the day you want you ha- you need to achieve something with the project but letting them have the creative freedom outside of those guidelines. Like, I think that is amazing because you're giving them the creativity that they need to achieve that amazing result. But at the same time, you're achieving what you needed as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I I mean, I've definitely done jobs where it's very directive and it's like, go do this one thing very specifically. Um, But I try not to do too much of those. And those are for very specific business reasons. And I think, you know, um, a lot of the work that we do at, at Destination Canada is in that kind of content marketing space. And I love working in there because it's it's as much about storytelling as sort of the why you're doing that. And and that's where that um, freedom to kind of like put a bunch of parts together and then see how it all nets out kind of shakes out there. Another thing you mentioned is like kind of this idea of um, working and kind of getting paid. Is that something you want to talk about a little bit more on the podcast or...
0: Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, if, if there was anything specific that you wanted to mention, go ahead.
1: So, yeah, I was listening to that first episode that you put together. And, and when you're first getting started in the industry, there's the, this real tension of how, how do I get work? How do I sort of build a client base? And how do I make money? Right. And this kind of push and, and pull back there. And I, one thing I, I would really encourage anybody who's starting out or whatever kind of part you're in in the business is get a really good idea of what your rates should be. Um, even if you don't always stick to them and sometimes go a little over and sometimes find yourself a little under in there. I I have had many conversations with people kind of getting started and doing their first job for us. And I find it's even, you know, there's always a conversation to have and there's always kind of figuring out like, well, what's our budget and what can we do this for and, and how can we get it done? But I find those conversations always a little bit smoother when people have an idea of what, what they should be up to and what they should be asking for in order to sort of make a living and and piece it all together. So as well as, you know, especially when you're kind of getting started, you want to get a bunch of clients and you need to go sort of get your foot in the door. And sometimes you might end up working in real estate, which may not be the kind of uh, penultimate um, part of a career trajectory, but even there, like figure, figure it out. Like, shouldn't do too much for free is one of my pieces of advice because there's often, you know, money to get stuff done out there and there's, and there's people who are willing to sort of pay for it. And maybe it's just trying to find out who those people are and what they're up to. But um, yeah, don't do too much for free.
0: No, exactly. I mean, I guess what, uh, what I've what my experience has been um, with our production company and kind of before we started it is, You do the work for free when you're learning, but once you think you're kind of at that curve where you want to get it started and want to start getting paid, and you think you're good enough, then start charging. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount that you're charging. Start with something, and once you have enough clients, go up a ladder. Like, let's say, for example, you start with 500 bucks for a video and then you have a lot of clients and then you're just like, oh, wow, I can charge more now. So you start charging a thousand until you kind of get to that level that you want to be at. Yeah. Figure out like
1: a comprehensive day rate and all that kind of work. Exactly. And uh,
0: speaking actually of that, when it comes to creatives that you've worked with, um, is it usually larger projects that you work with or is it a lot of social media work that you do? So like shorter clips. Uh, or is it kind of a big project that you're working on? And in terms of their rates and kind of, uh, of course, you've worked with many creative, uh, is it usually the day rate that they charge? Is it per the project or how how do they do it
1: in your, uh, my, uh, in your eyes? My answer is going to run the gamut for sure. Um, yeah, the size of project that I would work on with uh, a individual or a company could range from like a thousand dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, can be built in many different ways. Small, smaller ones tend to be a bit more based around a, a flat rate. So if I am looking to get something done for you know, a couple thousand bucks, usually we're sort of starting there and figuring out like, okay, let's work back from the budget, figure out what kind of production value we're looking for, how much effort we're going to put into it, and, and making sure we're kind of sitting around that, um, that right space there. Whereas larger projects, then yeah, it kind of rolls much more into day rates for various people um, and kind of see a fair amount of shifting there. Usually um, when we're talking about like a a larger project, you're Mm going to pay a day rate for um, the time of, other than usually like the sort of like more sort of senior people in the the company, usually you'll pay a day rate for them just a, a bit more like on shoot. And then that covers their kind of like, Involvement before and after, and then usually for the rest of the crew, it sort of just adds up on like you know how much pre-production work do they do, how much travel time do they have to do, and then their actual those shoot days, the travel back, and then if they're involved in a post, uh, usually you're sort of paying around that. So it gets fairly detailed in those like larger project breakdowns. Um, can have many many line items of like kind of who's doing what and, and what they're up to. But usually I start working. With most companies or most individuals on those smaller projects, it's just a little bit easier to sort of test the waters, um, figure out how how we're going to work together, but also takes some of that administrative burden off the project and will sort of build up over time. Now, you know, there's a lot of variety in, in all that, and sometimes we'll jump to a big project with a company, but usually that's sort of how how, how it will work.
0: Of course. And I I do really like that advice as well, as you mentioned, of course, like the project that you jump kind of on the bigger projects of the company, it's probably a company that's very established, you know, their work, you've seen what they can do. Uh, Usually, uh, for those small creatives, uh, I always recommend studying small, uh, no matter what it is. And the thing is, um, for example, tell me if if, what you think of this. Uh, But for example, when we pitch clients, uh, of course, there's always a big budget that you're kind of can look through. It could be could start at thousand dollars up to twenty five fifty thousand dollars, and when a client, for example, isn't sure of a budget, we always try and give them two to three ideas in kind of every budget range, and we always, of course, say that yes, like of course, that big project is exactly what we want, and that would be the best for us. Not even for the money, but because it's just creatively, it sounds really cool. Uh, but we always pressure on starting small because we believe, as kind of you mentioned before, like building that trust is more important than anything because if you do that small project and you do a great job and you kill it, then you're going to get all those other jobs. Like that is not going to be even a problem.
1: Yeah, no, I would I would definitely agree with that. I think it's a, and it goes back to that idea of like often, you know, those smaller projects, there's just this sort of less stress about them um and then yeah if you can kind of especially when you're talking to a client and at the outset you're really trying to show like value for money then i think that's another so that's always like kind of like a a client consideration you're like okay like you, you can use the same kind of or a there's a metaphor you can use around like sort of building a house, right? Like you can build a house that costs a million dollars or you can build a house that costs a hundred thousand dollars. Like, well, which house do you want and why? And then whether you buy a million dollar house or a hundred thousand dollar house, like, you know, how, how do you feeling your sort of value for money in that And it and it changes in all that kind of scope. But I definitely think when, and one thing I would agree with what you said is starting small, getting your foot in the door is often an easier way to, have a bit more latitude, um, have a bit more kind of creativity, a bit more flexibility and show what you can do in that space and then take up and get more kind of responsibility when it comes to what you're doing and what you're making and, and, and take a little bit more of that on your shoulders. And then as you sort of build it up, yeah, you're going to be carrying more budget behind you, a bigger team behind you. The deliverables much more important. So there's going to be more scrutiny on that from client side and then value for money, it's always very important. But, you know, when you're doing those bigger projects, it starts to really become kind of under the, under the gaze. And so I think that's, that's a good, a good piece of advice for sure.
0: No, exactly. Especially, I mean, of course, as a small creative, you're not like, even if, like, even if a client was to give you those, let's say twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000, like if you don't, if you've never done a project similar to that, then you're not going to really know where to even start or where to put that budget into. Right. So like, if you, like if you are trying to go for those bigger projects right away, it absolutely makes no sense because you just will not know what, how to deal with that budget at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Without kind of peeling back too many layers behind it. Yeah. I've, I've seen some projects like under bid in the past and then, you know, people end up kind of working um, a little bit extra on that. And and you, it's all part of the part of the learning process. Oh, 100%.
0: Sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, and uh, in your experience, what is the best way for small creators to start working in the tourism industry? Of course, uh, right now it is, uh, it's not really something we're going to even kind of d- dig into too deep just because uh, of COVID. It's probably not something that anyone is even looking for, uh, for the most part. Uh, but for example, in a year or two from now, when COVID isn't really a thing, uh, what what would be your advice?
1: Sure, and actually, you know, although I didn't really travel last year as part of all the work that we did, we did a bunch of really small productions. And what what we're focusing on is making sure we have you know local crew working on local work, which we often do. Anyways, it doesn't necessarily make sense for me to fly somebody from Vancouver to St. John's when there's amazing people out there that we can work with, and we're always looking for that hybrid. But now it's definitely like okay travel is kind of as as strictly limited as we can. So there's always that possibility, but I think, you know, writ large, if you're looking to work in the, in the travel industry and I, and I think this advice would, you know, parlay into many other industries is really look at what all those different organizations are up to and, and what they're doing. You know, the, the travel marketing space isn't, you know, necessarily as cookie cutter as some people think it is. And, I find also a lot of people who want to work in this space are coming at it with their own, I, you know, their own kind of view on what it should be like, and don't actually take a step back and look at the diversity of ways that different organizations are doing marketing. I mentioned, you know, we do a fair amount of work more in the content marketing space. So, how are we telling stories that? evoke uh, a sense of place and make you want to have a kind of an emotional connection towards going there. So that's how we tend to play, but a lot more of the sort of travel marketing spaces in the beautiful pictures, fast cuts, um, big soundtrack, smiling people kind of space. And so I think no matter where you're going and, and what you're doing, always sense check, like what is your vision for that? And then what is a company's vision for that? And do they align or not? And not to say that if there isn't um, sort of a natural alignment that you can see at the outset that you shouldn't approach them or, or, or want to work with them, but just know that you might have to also convince why your vision kind of should mesh with theirs or, or what you're bringing to the table. And I think that's kind of a piece of advice I would give is sort of like see and look what they're actually doing, what they're putting out, not just on social um, across our consumer channels or even our corporate channels. I'll say a lot of projects that I start working with people are the sort of first one is might actually be much more of like a kind of corporate messaging or an internal video, those kinds of things. And really try and get a broad sense of what they do, figure out where you might fit naturally or where you might want to fit, but challenge and understand like you are challenging and you're going to come in with a vision and think about why that vision actually might make sense to them or not.
0: And yeah, uh... Another question on that note as well. So, of course, Destination Canada is quite a large company. And uh, if, for example, a small creator, I feel like the first thing that comes to their mind is I'm sure they have a lot of video content and a lot of people that are better than me that can probably do the job better. But let's say I really want to work for a company like it. Would you have any advice on... If, for example, the creator thinks they like they might not be good enough, or they might not just they might not have a big enough production to be able to achieve what, for example, you might be looking for.
1: So, if a kind of small, like individual creator or a small company, had a dream of working for us one day, but felt that they needed to kind of up their chops yeah. in order to to qualify, what would exactly. what would the advice be? Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, I guess this is one. This is one part about kind of working in the travel space that makes this answer a little bit easier is to use some of your own travel experiences. And most people who are in the kind of photography or video space, I mean, they're probably already quite documenting their whole entire life. Uh, it's kind of a natural, natural thing. And I would think about how, how can you look at your, your own trips as kind of source inspiration. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to like ruin your family vacation by making everybody pose. And like, you know, (laughs) a a, a real trip and a, and a photo shoot that captures a trip are two very different things. Um, They're both fun, but one is much, much more fun. And it's the personal one. Um, But how do you uh, document that? And, kind of turn that or i think another piece of advice would be really look at where you are no matter where it is across canada and really start to celebrate where you are right now um whatever city town big small uh nature whatever is sort of at your at your back door and try and capture that and i think putting on a lens of you know why would somebody In the UK or France or Germany or China or Japan or Australia or wherever, like, why would they want to come to the spot? Like, what makes it so magic and so beautiful? And capture the images, the video, but also the sort of stories and the reasons behind coming and going there. Like, very few people are going to travel just to see something. You know, they want to know that when they're in a town, they can have an experience. So there's friendly people. There's other stuff there. So. Maybe like, you know, your own vacations, those are obviously one good source, but also just your day-to-day life. Like I think everywhere in Canada is definitely source material and how much of that can we kind of pull out and, and bring, that would be.
0: No, 100%. And that also kind of ties in with the, what you mentioned before and how, for the most part, when uh, Destination Canada, like when you guys work on a video, it's very story heavy. And I think that's very, very important. Not something we, like we do, we try and do re- as well with Elian uh, Faro is something that a lot of people are kind of stuck on in the past is, as you mentioned, especially in the travel industry is they'll showcase beautiful location. It doesn't matter where it is. For example, in Canada, if you go to Victoria or BC, there's a bunch of locations that you can film, get some beautiful drone shots, whatever. But, um, and the thing is like, people will look at it and they will say like, Oh wow, this is beautiful. But, it still doesn't hit home. There's no like, oh, like, yeah, like uh, maybe I'll visit there at some point, but it's not like I, I want to go there right now. And I feel like when you start telling more of a story and relating that into the video, the video just becomes so much better because then the viewer can actually feel something. It's not just about a beautiful location. It's about the people at the locations, about... Uh, pretty much anything that that location has to offer other than it being beautiful. Because the, I guess the, the thing is now, especially with social media is you can go on Facebook or Instagram and you'll find beautiful photos of Bali or you find beautiful photos of Hawaii or BC. Like there's beautiful places everywhere. And it's like, how do you get the person to choose your location over the other location? And that's doing a story about it. And yeah. I feel like a lot of people are so behind about it, especially in the travel industry. They'll showcase everything other than tell the story of why you should go there, pretty much.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think part of the reason we don't, I, it's not to say that we don't end up in that space sometimes of beautiful images and music. Like, you know, it, it makes sense in, in, in spots. And so we definitely do that. But I think um, part of the reason that we don't necessarily play in there as well is it's, it's so broadly done. You know, you can go on YouTube and look up any spot in Canada and and for sure find somebody who's been there and flew their drone around and got some really great shots and stitched it all together and did a great job of it. And they're kind of doing all that marketing on our behalf. And sometimes we'll, um, not necessarily so much in the last year or two, but, you know, bring those people up and, you know, kind of work with influencers and have them travel around and do their vibe. But I think at, at our core is when we're looking at, more in the sort of owned content space where we're playing a more executive producer role. It's totally about storytelling. And, and sometimes it's, you know, uh, first person, like the kind of creator, like what's their story, what's they're doing. But many times it's, you know, in that somebody else's story, how can you document, you know, what makes them love where they are? Cause I think that's what a lot of people want to know, right? Like if I'm going to travel to Saskatoon, and I happen to love Saskatoon. I think it's a really great little town um, or city. I shouldn't call it a town. It's definitely a city. Um, and, but to hear like, well, where do the locals go? Like, what what are they up to? What, like, where do they love? Like, what's their favorite spots to go out of town? You know, where do they like to dine? Where do they like to hang out? I think that really helps frame your trip beyond just understanding it's a place I could go to that's beautiful. But then what am I going to do there? And that's sort of the bridge that a story can take between beautiful emotive inspiration and then give you some ideas of like yeah when i'm there like uh, i want to go to that restaurant i want to see that person or that you know person's artwork or this gallery you know that's a key spot for me to go put on my itinerary when i'm there
0: exactly and it's also especially for uh the traveler you're making it much easier because they don't actually have to go ahead and find the locations themselves like you kind of give them oh like you could go here you could go there so you're pretty much giving them information for free. Like they don't have to pay for it. They don't have to go look for it anywhere else. You just give it to them right there. And it just makes that process so much easier. And uh, speaking of that as well, uh, of kind of projects that you've uh, worked with, do you have a favorite projects, a project that you've worked with or work, worked
1: at? Well, that's a tough choice. Favorite project that I've worked on.
0: Or you can list a couple. Yeah, it, it it depends probably... how. You...
1: So last year, obviously, with COVID hitting and the travel uh, industry really getting a big shakeup and, and and a big change, there was very limited kind of travel. And so we weren't doing any kind of like big productions. And we kind of scrapped a few of our like, you know, we were going to do a few big series and you know, bring people in internationally and doing stuff and kind of tabled all that. But we still knew that there was, um, you know, a lot happening in, in Canada, like, it's not that COVID kind of shuts down culture. It doesn't shut down people. It just sort of changes the way that we're working. So we did, I think we did about 20 little small video projects last year, working um, much more with like individual creators or little production companies. We kind of branded them under this idea of like love letters to Canada or love letters to place, which is an idea we're trying to keep evolving, show why people love where they are. And I think that, brings a bit of heart to a spot and helps people see, you know, why a local cares about it, then, you know, it has a sense of culture. It has that sort of sense of vibrancy. And there's a few, um, in that, that I, that really, really just struck a a chord with me. One, um, we called it the mother. I, I don't know when we put it out on YouTube, we probably called it something a little bit different, but it's, um, a letter of advice to a young child. So I was working with, um, one of my favorite creators to work with, Shano, up in the Yukon, he uh, runs the, the Solidarity Union North, TSU, Solidarity Union. Um, we just sort of spitballing this idea around and came out with the idea that, like, how about a young mom who has a child who originally were planning on doing a, like, around the world trip with um, the child, so the uh, mom, mom and husband. And they had to cancel that, right? They wouldn't be able to travel all around the world, but they had this year and they lived in the Yukon, which is one of the most uh, visually stunning places. And it's this idea that even though maybe you can't cross borders, you can still travel. There's always a place to explore really close by. So that's one that I really enjoyed working on. Uh, and that I, I think, you know, talking about trust kind of threw it out there and saw what would happen. And I was uh, amazed by uh, what came out there. And then another one that uh, we haven't released yet, Um, but it's more on Vancouver and telling a story of um, Mayumi who moved to Vancouver a little over a decade ago from Japan to go to Vancouver film school and then established herself and stayed here. And it really talks about her love for the city through food and a little bit about how she also over time as, you know, Vancouver's food scene has evolved and, has become much more about celebrating the unique food cultures that are here and how they kind of coexist within the city. She also found a little bit of like personal coexistence and a personal kind of... I'm going to say that again. She found a little bit of herself through that and her journey kind of mimicked Vancouver's journey and I think it really paints a beautiful picture of the city and and why it's so interesting and so those ones are kind of top of mind but there's so many out there It, it really is impossible to choose and sometimes I'm on our YouTube channel kind of like looking around for analytics and I see a video from like three years ago I'm like oh man that was my favorite one I love doing that one so it's kind of whatever was your most recent one is your favorite one and whatever is your next one is the one you're most excited about. That is the short and most true answer that I could give.
0: No, I love that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds, I mean, it sounds really cool. If you guys, um, for anyone watching, uh, of course, as you mentioned, one of the videos has not come out yet. And I think uh, at least in my opinion, that one seems extremely interesting to watch. Uh, So um, is it going to be on the YouTube channel?
1: Yeah. We're uh, peeling back a bit of the layers as an organization. Always trying to figure out what's the best time to promote travel within Canada. So publicly facing, we're quite quiet now. We do a few things on social here and there, kind of inspirational ideas. Um, we're not really actively promoting travel at the moment, but it can, it can definitely vary. The letter or whatever its proper you know, YouTube name is definitely yeah. up on our YouTube channel. And you can go ch- check it out there.
0: Cool. So yeah, guys, uh, if, uh, if, there's, if you want to check any of those two videos out, uh, please get on their uh, YouTube channel. Uh, and that would be just Destination Canada, I'm assuming.
1: I think it's Explore Canada.
0: So go check out uh, Explore Canada. Uh, one of them is as, as uh, Adam mentioned is going to be coming out uh, very, very soon. Uh, we'll right put guess, the link in, in the show notes. A few notes. months. We'll put we'll put the link in the show notes exactly. Uh, and um, kind of speaking on that as well. Um, so just in your experience, I know you have been uh, kind of in the in the marketing role for quite some time now. Uh, How has uh, marketing changed in the tourism tourism industry in the last decade? And how has this uh, affected kind of how you've been
1: working with people creatively?
0: And I know it is a pretty, pretty beefy question. So take your time on this one.
1: Yeah. Wow. How has marketing changed in the last decade? I mean, the the first thing that came to mind when when you asked me that question was like, cds and dvds like <laughs> literally a decade ago like there, we weren't using like dropbox or we transfer like if a project was happening and you couldn't go into the edit suite you would like literally be sent like a cd burned of the file which you would then like put in on your thing um but i think the the real answer is it's technology and data have made such a huge shift and like i can really only scratch the surface of how that change has happened in marketing. But I think when it comes to the video production or the photo production side of things, I think the the biggest change is just in terms of like the volume. So it's kind of two-sided. It's the volume that we can accomplish as a company it used to be that it was much harder to get things done. And we would probably only do a couple things a year. And, you know, we were much more focused on, Print advertising and that was a really kind of big bit of us and we would do you know maybe some sort of anthemic video a bit of a tv spot here and there maybe some very itinerary focused pieces um but i think that has has changed it so much that you know we can actually have this youtube channel that i've referred to a couple of times it's not quite like a living uh, organic thing but it it, it you know, is a easy repository for so much content that we use and, and put in our marketing. And it's become so much easier to create, to house, to distribute it, to repurpose it. You know, I, um, often a video that we did shoot three years ago is still as relevant now. And when we're putting together our content calendars and figuring out what we're going to do per market or, or whatever, we can draw back on that, on that pool. And then even if we want to make a change to it, it's so much simpler to make a change now. I don't have to like, go into an actual physical vault and pull a piece of tape that is huge and load that into a machine. And like it's more just like, oh yeah, no, we just have to like drag that off the server, de-archive it, fire it into Adobe and away you go. And you're like, yeah, can we take that shot out? Yeah, of course we can take that shot out. It's real simple. Um, so I think there's been this huge shift in the making has become so much easier. But then the counter to that is that so much more stuff gets made. And it's so much harder to like break through and find your spot. Um, it's funny. I was just um, this weekend, I did like a little staycation here in Vancouver. So we went and stayed at the Fairmont hotel, Vancouver for a couple of nights and I actually watched real TV with real commercials with my kids who are six and three and they hated it. They're like, why, why, why are we, why are we learning about the brick? I don't need to know about furniture. I just want to watch this show. Um, but I think that is just how it, you know, there's so many messages and so many ways to get and receive. So whereas before, as an organization, yeah, we could do a TV spot, we could do some sort of anthemic thing, couple things, really focus on like print ads. But now it's like, okay, print ads is one small part of our portfolio. Social is a huge part of it now. Video making is another big part of it, and like all the content we make, whether it's in partnership with, you know, different publishers or it's own stuff. I think it's just become so much harder to figure out how to quote unquote, like breakthrough. And I think that's a big part of the challenge that we're facing today. Um, and any organization of like, how do you get a cohesive message out there that touches people or in the right spot at the right time and, and, and cuts through the, the sort of clutter and, then it comes back to technology and data of how you do that. And it's sort of this ever, ever ongoing challenge to figure out how to use whatever technology is coming at you in the best way, whether it's AI or personalization or just like really targeted advertising, whatever you want to do.
0: No, totally. Especially, I mean, kind of the funny thing is you mentioned with uh, your kids and watching TV is I feel like I I guess the generation Z and even uh, millennials, like they're not, I mean, they, they're not very used to watching TV ads or watching TV at all. Right now you have Netflix, you have YouTube, right? And I mean, of, of course, now you start having TikTok. So people's like spend pretty much went from, oh yeah, I can watch this like 20 minute ad, 10 minute ad to, okay, this 10 second ad is a little too too much right now. Uh, so it, it is very interesting how it has been changing over the past few years. And honestly, like every year something new happens and you're like, you have to adjust Uh, for both the creatives and both yourself as well. Um, And uh, going to the next question, uh, what do you see changing uh, moving forward and how can creatives take advantage of those uh, changes?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I definitely see the evolution of technology and and new platforms kind of coming on on board. So that's going to be something to continually figure out. And how does personalization and AI have a form in video? I don't really... I won't profess to even trying to keep up with that question, but I, don't <laughs> I I definitely don't know where it's at now and kind of what's going. And and when I do kind of try and see around the edge of what we're doing with AI and trying to figure that out. So I think that's a huge, huge challenge. But then I think it's also um, figuring out how, as new platforms kind of spin up like TikTok, like how, what's the sort of legacy of that? Like, what's the sort of enduring value and if, You can figure out like, well, how to tell a story in that platform and see it kind of coming out and lasting for a little bit longer. I think that's where the marketing value comes in a little bit more like things that are too ephemeral. Some organizations really get in on that and and do an amazing job. Us, we're a little bit more kind of figure it out and see what we want to do space. But, you know, one thing I would say is that no matter sort of like how technology changes, it has big impacts. Like it can, you know, make, you know, going back to what I was saying before used to be like, we would do a spot and it'd be like one final deliverable. It was the 32nd TV spot. It's all we needed. Maybe we had an English, French version. Maybe we had a little bit of stuff like that, but now when we're putting together kind of like a deliverable brief for a project and we go and look at the checklist of everything we might put on there, we might actually be coming back with like 25 final deliverable files and, you know, for various platforms and, trying to figure out like okay like you know usually we start with kind of like it's full length version um but always trying to see like well what are the what are the cutouts so we can make and not necessarily cutouts that are um or cut downs that are just like trailers but what are like little stories that sit within that, that we can kind of expand so all that to say like a project can really spin out to like way more things now so i think that's one part of like as we evolve how do you, how you can think of kind of like your central piece and then all the kind of things that sit around that and try and work those back. But then the threat of, you know, as we were talking about earlier in this conversation and kind of my thought behind it is you still always have to understand, like, why are we doing this? Like, what is the ultimate goal we're trying to accomplish? And that never really changes whether you're on TikTok or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, or we're trying to do videos of the New York times. Um, We still have to have that and that core and sort of holding that central piece, no matter what the technology, that's, I think, where um, the most success can be found in in keeping that those two things going and and evolving and, and improving.
0: No, for sure. I mean, there's different ways to play on that goal, depending, of course, on the platform. Of course, TikTok. It's going to be shorter. If it's a YouTube video, it's going to be longer. But at the same, at the end of the day, you're you're trying to promote travel around Canada, and that's kind of your main goal. And if that can be done within that time frame and on that uh, platform, then I mean, you've achieved your goal, right? Yeah, Um, for sure, for sure. And uh, kind of uh, going a little uh, on a little different route uh as a cre- like as a small creative writer and that doesn't have to be specifically for destination uh candidates for any pretty much anyone because you are kind of in the industry um if uh if you were to be reached out to uh what would be what would you say is the best method to do so in your opinion uh of course there's uh many methods that uh people can use there's cold calling cold emailing you can reach out through instagram maybe you know a friend or, or they know a friend uh, but what do you think is uh, your
1: favorite my favorite for sure um i definitely like email because it's so sort of a passive way for me to get information and kind of address it when i want to but i think people speaking from personal experience can sort of find my email address many ways um publicly is one but also by finding different ways to connect with us as an organization or me personally or through, um, you know, the work that I've done or, you know, the kind of contacts that we have made um, all across Canada. So there's many ways to sort of get that initial access. And and I think can't say one is maybe better than the other. I think they all can sort of kind of work. But when it actually comes to, like, getting stuff in my inbox. One thing I definitely like is seeing people's work and seeing it more on like a regular kind of updated basis. Like even if it's not necessarily like in the travel or tourism space, as long as you know I think it has some kind of relevance to me. That's what I like cuz often I'll sort of save those things for a Friday afternoon. I'll be like, "Oh yeah, okay, like let's go poke around and see what people are trying to show to me and do that and you know take half an hour and watch a bunch of videos and I really like that. That's a nice way to sort of end my week when I can find the time to do it. Um, so I, that's one way that I that I like to sort of get communication in and kind of helps also keep different um, creators or makers sort of top of mind for when an opportunity might arise. And I'm like, oh yeah, that fit there might've worked. I'll also in a second talk more about the actual formalness of working for Destination Canada. But I think for any client, you know, you want to be top of mind. You want to, you know, be out there, and so I think there's sort of some sort of like regularity in that communication. Of course, is so, is a really good thing.
0: Of course. So, as uh, just kind of to uh, clarify a little bit, so whenever, so for example, let's say I'm a creative and I send you that first initial email. Uh, of course, ninety nine percent of the time, it's not going to be opened. It's not going to be seen. Uh, and of course, uh, for from someone who has done a lot of cold emails in the past and is doing it even as we speak. Um, it, like the best way to get clients is of course, to follow up. If you don't follow up, you're not going to get anything out of it. Uh, so as you mentioned, uh, in your follow-up, something that you like seeing is the work of the individual. And, uh, is there a specific amount of, um, for example, like if you were to get follow-ups to like getting them once a week, once every few days, is there a kind of a time span where you're like, maybe this is a little bit annoying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I, I... Maybe like more than once every two weeks, maybe once a month for me would be the nicest, but like yeah. it, it totally varies. And like, and, and just cause I don't open it or look at it or respond doesn't mean I don't necessarily care. It just means I don't have the time to sort of okay. get, get to that. And like the one thing I definitely don't like is when people expect me to follow up. And then when I don't, they kind of have this building expectation that I've somehow done something wrong by not responding to them. Um I definitely want to try and respond to everybody who gets into my inbox but I just don't have the time to do it. Um or when those responses are actually going to take me a long time to do. Like if you write me an email that's going to take me like 20 minutes to respond back to you, chances are I'm not actually going to get the time in my work week to do that. Um and I had only so much time to sort of discretionary put out there. But I do actually like it and I don't mind when people want to ask me a question if it's a short and simple and easy thing to answer, especially if by answering that question, it might help them understand how to reach out to me better down the line. I love that. Like that's totally fine. So I think there's ways to have like a little bit of like dialogue and share, but just know that it might move at a very glacial pace. Um, and it might be that I love your work. I just don't have a lot to action. So I'm not going to be putting a ton of effort into figuring out, um, what you could be doing for us now, it might just be kind of sitting in the back of my mind. And I'm like, oh yeah, like six months from now. Okay, cool. Like, let's talk to them about that project. Often, if I have an idea, I'm going to talk to multiple people about it, like sort of either through formally, kind of like we have an RFP process and a vendor and all that kind of stuff, or informally sort of figuring out like, oh, yeah, like how are we going to get this done? And what do we want to do here? And, and you know, the procurement rules that we have in a, as an organization, how are they going to apply in this situation? Yeah. Consistency without harassment is sort of the, 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 <laughs> the, the fine would... line. Yeah.
0: No, hundred yeah. percent. And, um, kind of, as you mentioned, um, I just kind of wanted to, uh, tell the viewers a little bit if they haven't really been in the email space. Um, if, if it is something like pretty much like don't get bothered if someone isn't answering your emails, because kind of as uh, Adam mentioned here, uh, they're very, very, very busy people. And I'm sure they have a lot of projects going on. And it doesn't mean that they they don't care or they haven't seen the email. It just means that it might have not been the right time or the right place. Uh, but definitely one of the biggest things that you want to do is kind of keep pulling up once in a while. Because if you don't, they'll forget about you. Uh, and if you do, maybe in a year or two years or whenever something comes up and you're the right fit, they'll, they'll um, hit you up. And you might have a project that way. And uh, you you did want to mention something as well about uh, working with Destination Canada.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I just, I think because I was sort of talking about like, well, how how do ideas get started and how does that um, connection happen? Yeah, often it's very like informal um, that, you know, kind of start a conversation and and we can do certain small projects fairly easily, but we have uh, a much more kind of like formal process as well where we'll put out like a RFP, Uh, and and invite people to sort of apply should then build a roster, which then we kind of like draw upon that like roster of creators to action more of our work. It's not the only way we get stuff done, but I think that's also something to consider of like, you know, which companies you want to work for, whether they're in the um, tourism space or, or not is another person you can always talk to is like the procurement side of things. Like they may, able to give you some advice on how to just work with the organization, not necessarily within the video side of it. Um, and so I think you can kind of gather a bit more Intel from there as well. But for us, yeah, it can get quite formal through like agencies and that sort of stuff. Which
0: makes sense, especially because uh, for anyone unaware, and uh, let, let me know if I'm saying anything correctly here, uh, but for a lot of uh, government organizations, it is a lot of uh, it's pretty much one of the main ways that they get clients is by the creatives or anyone bidding on that project. And I kind of go from there. Uh, It's just kind of a formality that you have to follow. Uh, Of course, as you mentioned, I'm assuming that if there's one creative that you worked with or anything special that's going on, you might be not doing it that way. Uh, But for the most part, that is kind of the only way that you're going to get through to those companies. And uh speaking of that, uh, or I guess not speaking of that <laughs> on, uh, on another side there was uh, was there anything specific that you wanted to maybe plug in before we finish up the podcast, or any projects new projects that you're working on or any last uh, last minute advice that you would like to give us?
1: I have one one last thing that I was thinking about is also I, I find um, when companies are sort of doing this self marketing. So putting your reel together, your website, and kind of giving an overview. I think another tidbit that I would drop for people to consider when framing all that is showing a little bit of the collaboration that happened with the client when you can. Often, I think people who work in a space understand like between that first conversation and then the thing you made, there's lots of changes that happen along the way. And especially in good projects, they should. like They should be sort of challenged and thought and be like, okay, you wanted to accomplish that two days. How are we going to do this? Okay, now we're going to figure that out. Revealing how as a creator you can be collaborative and nimble and keep that overall vision in mind and, and take a journey of getting there, I think will instill in people who are looking at you as a potential uh, vendor with a little bit more seeding that idea of trust and sort of showing like, yeah, like you're not just um, the kind of creator who's going to like plop down and have like one vision and try and mandate that through and go for that. Cause that hardly ever happens. There's always this tug and this push and pull between what everybody needs to sort of get out of it. And this sort of final thing should be the more than the sum of its parts. And if you can tell that story, I think that will help really sell yourself and elevate you.
0: No, I agree. That is super, super important, especially, uh, of course, in the beginning, a lot of the times, uh, you start with very small product, very small companies who might not have an idea of how they want to market themselves. So you have a lot of pretty much as much creative freedom as you want. Uh, but the higher the projects are, the higher you go, uh, there's going to be more of a goal that needs to be met by those specific companies and you kind of have to follow it. There's no other way. And, uh, Unfortunately, even if there's one specific vision that you might really like, it might not be what they specifically want. So it's something very important is always working with, pretty much working with both parties to see, to find that final result. Because there's always some, there's always a beautiful product that can come out out of anything. Uh, you just have to be creative enough to find it, pretty much. Totally. 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 Well, uh, Adam, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for uh, everything today. And uh, thank you for listening to the Creators Podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the tips and tricks you can use to help grow your business as a creator. I'm Ilya Lipsman signing off. Uh, We will catch you in the next one. Peace.